And for our second scripture reading, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 7, verse 1. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1800. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Thus ends our reading of God's unchanging word. May all who hear it find themselves purified as they revere their God. When I lived in Thailand, there was this night market that was notorious for selling cheap knockoffs of high-end products. So if you wanted a, a Rolex watch without paying thousands of dollars, you could get a re replica for about 20 bucks. Now, while that watch may have looked like a Rolex and maybe even felt like a Rolex, I can guarantee you that it didn't, didn't keep time like a Rolex, or last like a Rolex, nor did it have the gold of a Rolex. When, when, you, when you look at the church today, it's not, it's not always easy to tell, to distinguish true Christianity from a false form of it. Lines get easily blurred. And, and just like that fake Rolex, there are cheap knockoffs of the real thing. But this is nothing new. For the past 2,000 years, there, there have been true churches mixed with false churches and true Christians mixed with false Christians. This is the whole point of, the, of Jesus' parable of the wheat and the tares. Jesus explained to his disciples that, that the enemy would, would sow weeds into the field in order to stifle God's people. And this is exactly what we see happening in the church in Corinth. To understand our passage for today, we must first understand the context for, for which it was written. At the time, Corinth was one of the largest cities in the, in the Roman world. Being on the coast of the Mediterranean, it had a constant flux of people coming and going, for it was a, a Roman seaport. Now, if you've ever been to a seaport or, or a, trading, a trading port, then you would know that they tend to become filled with industries catering to sinful pleasures. Corinth was no different. And, 
And this church that was there was living in the midst of all of this. Needless to say, they had many challenges. I mean, think about it. These young believers grew up in the heart of a culture that was heavily focused on the desires of the flesh. And integrated in with these earthly pursuits was a pagan form of worship. The way people served their, their, these idols would include temple prostitution and getting drunk off much wine. For the Gentiles in particular, this, this is what they had known their whole life. This, this mixing of religion with pleasure. But now, as Christians, God was calling them to live holy lives, set apart from the things of this world. This meant a, a radical shift, not only in the, the way they behaved, but also in how they interacted with the people around them. This change would have been, would have been noticeable by all. And many would not have welcomed it. These people faced pressures from, from their family, from their friends, and, and even from the, the, the state, from the Roman government. Pressures to, to conform their, their, their new religion back to the way that they used to live. And we know from Paul's first letter to them that many in the church caved to that pressure. They had failed at living holy lives, and so Paul had to correct them on a number of issues. But now here in this, in this second letter, they were facing an additional threat, as false teachers were now creeping into their church. Look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 1 through 4. Here's what it says. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. Here's what was happening in this church. There were these false teachers coming to their city and preaching a form of Christianity that looked a lot like their pagan practices of old. They proclaimed a Jesus that could be intermixed with the idols of their day. In essence, they were teaching a form of syncretism or a blending of religions. And these Corinthian believers were falling for these lies. And the reason they were doing that was because it was so easy to just cave to the pressure. By mixing the religions, the, the people could, could say that they were following Christ and yet not feel the pressures from the society that, were, that was around them, for they would be in harmonious agreement with the trends of their day. The only problem, as Paul stated in the passage we just read, was that it was a false Jesus 
It had a false spirit, and it was a false gospel. We see shades of syncretism today as well. Saying such as, all paths lead to the same God, demonstrate a false view of both Jesus and the gospel message. For scripture tells us that there is one God and one way of salvation through repentant faith in Christ alone. Another way that we see syncretism done today is by, by conforming the message to cultural norms. This is what we see today in many churches. There is this push for, for the acceptance of sinful lifestyles in both the homosexual and the transgender communities. People are basically just ignoring scripture, wanting to call themselves Christians without repentance. Again, this is a rejection of the gospel and the teachings of our Lord. And it was these types of issues that, that Paul was referring to in our text for today. Look at, look at chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. As God's people, you are not to be yoked with unbelievers. Now, a yoke was used for, for farming animals in order to pull a plow. And when you're plowing a field, you, you want straight lines, am I right? Now imagine if you link an ox on one side and a donkey on another. Not only would the yoke be uneven, but the strides of the animals would be as well. I mean, how straight of a line do you think you're going to get with an ox and a donkey linked together? What, what Paul was calling for was the need for the, for the church to be distinct from the world. So what does this mean? Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Let me first be clear, Paul, what, what Paul was not saying. He was not saying that, that these Corinthian believers should be isolationists. That they should never interact with unbelievers. I mean, Christ commands us to go and share the gospel with unbelievers, so we need to interact with unbelievers. So this is not what Paul's talking about. But what he is talking about is how, how the church needs to be distinct from the world, particularly when it comes to their worship of God and the ministry that is done in his name. They, they should not engage in these pagan activities or partner with those who teach a false religion, even if they say they are serving Christ. The same could be said of us when it comes to our partnerships as a church, particularly in our, in our worship and in our ministry. We are not to associate with unbelievers. To do so would be foolishness and defeat the purpose. So when it comes to ministry or worship, the church must be selective with, with whom they unite, choosing only true believers. Otherwise, they will stray from, from that straight path like the, the ox and the, and the donkey paired together. Now, to emphasize this point, Paul used five rhetorical questions demonstrating the, the irrationality of such partnerships. Let me run through them quickly with you. Look at, look at the next part of our verse. 
For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Paul here is demonstrating the, the opposite natures of those within the body of Christ and those without. The one desires holiness, while the other runs after evil. So their desires are different. How can you find commonality when, when what you want are opposite things? Look at the second question. Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Again, these things are, are contrary to one another. When you place a, a light in the room, it expels the darkness. So how can the two have fellowship with one another when they cannot exist in the same space? Look at the next question. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Belial is a, is a word that means corruption. And it was often used as, as sort of a nickname to describe Satan. And so here we see two different masters. The believer has Jesus as their Lord, and the unbeliever bows the knee to Belial, or to Satan. Two opposing kings with two rival kingdoms. How can their servants remain loyal to them when they are partnering with each other? There can be no harmony. Look at the next question. What does, a, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Here we see the comparison between those with faith and those with doubt. Again, they are polar opposites. They have nothing in common. The, the one believes that Jesus is God, that he died for his sins and that he rose from the dead three days later. The other puts his trust in something else. But he has no faith in the true God. In other words, the, the believer and the, other, the unbeliever, they have differing theologies. They have differing worldviews. And so they approach life with a different set of presuppositions. And these presuppositions affect the goals that they set forth and the choices that they will make. Bottom line is this, the, the believer and the unbeliever have nothing in common. They are on different paths, heading in opposite directions. And finally, look at, look at verse 16 and Paul's last rhetorical question. What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is a, a vague reference to the reign of King Manasseh, which, who took a syncretistic view to the Jewish faith. Look again at 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hezdebah. But he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed, 
He also erected altars to Baal and made an Asherah pole as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord he built altars to the starry host. He even sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery and divination, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved Asherah pole he had made and put it in the temple of which the Lord had said to David and to his son Solomon, In this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again, I will not again make the feet of the Israelites my offering. Yeah. I will not. Let me check it. How are you now? There we go. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites wander from the land I gave their forefathers. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them and will keep the whole law that my servant Moses gave them. But the people did not listen. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Manasseh was the epitome of syncretistic thought. By establishing his idols in the temple of God, he was combining the true worship of Yahweh with the religions of the world. In other words, he was trying to make Judaism compatible with his pagan gods. But what did it accomplish? Verse 9 says this, that he did more evil than the nations that the Lord had destroyed. Do you see it? It, it was the, the compromiser that created a greater havoc than the outright pagans. And this is exactly what we see today. When the church compromises on the truth, it causes confusion both for the believer and the unbeliever. For the believer, it causes doubt as to what the gospel message is. And this leads to uncertainty as to their role in the church as God's children. When they see their leaders accepting things such as other religions or, or practices that the Bible clearly forbids, then they begin to question the validity of Scripture and Christ's mandate to go and share the gospel. For the unbeliever, they hear a softened and unclear message. This is a false gospel with a false Christ. It is a Jesus who is easier to accept for he comes with all the, the trappings that the world has to offer. This is why we have so many today who, who claim to be Christians but don't have a clue as to what the gospel message even is or who Jesus claimed to be. And so they think falsely that they are saved when in reality they are perishing. This is, this is why this syncretism, the, this compromising, causes such great evil. Much more so than the outright atheist. 
At least with the atheists, the message is clear, right? But with the syncretists, there's a version of Christianity that, that, that gets spouted, that, that becomes a muddled mess. And it does no one any good. Dear friends, Christ demands that his church be clear with his message. You can't blend it with the world or try to soften the hard edges. Because when you do, you preach a false gospel and a false Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are the smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Again, we see another warning in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Listen, as the bride of Christ, you are to be a people who proclaim a clear message. To the lost, it should be the smell of death. To those who are being saved, it should be the smell of death. Of life. But when you are yoked with unbelievers, your message becomes muddled and it's of no use. This is why Paul finished his thoughts with this command. Turn back to chapter 6 and look at, look at verse 17. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. God has commanded his church to be separate, and he has done so for a reason. You are to be holy and pure. You are to be his children. You are to be distinct from the world, giving off the aroma of Christ. And when you do this, God will receive you as a father does his own children. Brothers, sisters, if you want God to bless this church, then come out and be separate. Finally, Paul gives us one last reason that we should not be yoked with unbelievers. Look at our last verse. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness 
out of a reverence for God. This last reason that you should not be yoked is because you want to honor God. You want to show your gratitude for what He has done and sending His own Son to die for your sins, rescuing you from eternal damnation and giving you a place at His table in the new heavens and the new earth as His children. God has chosen you and He has blessed you with every benefit that comes from our Lord. So it is out of, out of gratitude that you should live distinct lives and proclaim a distinct message. Don't be like that, that fake Rolex, that, that cheap knockoff. Be the real thing. Be the church that Christ has called you to be. Listen, you have a, you have a lot to be thankful for. So purify yourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of a reverence for God. Let us pray. Father, we live in a world today that is much like the world the Corinthians lived in. We feel the pressures from society to conform to their ways. And we feel the same pressure from those who claim to be Christians but have perverted your gospel. Help us to remain faithful to your Son. Guide us by your Holy Spirit so that we, so that we might remain uncontaminated and exude the aroma of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.